It's real. It's real. You know the deal. You know the deal. Come on. Hey, it's Shante. And I'm Natalie. And welcome to What's the Deal, a podcast powered by the Norfus Firm. At the Norfus Firm, we solve people problems. We work with employers all around the world on HR and diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. Excited to already be back. <laughs> like, it's like we never left. It is like we never left, right? Um, and so for those of you who didn't see episode one with Professor Alberto Benitez, you should go watch it. But we do set things up so that if you didn't, you won't fall behind here. Um, we are really wanting to, we're, we're like, what's the deal with the immigrant experience mm-hmm. in the workplace? And so that's what we, in the first episode, we focused on one side of the coin, which is what are some of the things that employers should be thinking about uh, with an immigrant workforce? Like if you have folks that are from other countries that don't speak English or other languages spoken in your workplace, what are some of the things that you should think about? We learned really big and for first and foremost, empathy. One of the things that Professor Benitez talked about, which I thought was really important to be illustrative about, is that people are coming here at times through jungles, in the middle of deserts and the like. So even getting here is a huge feat and it is not as easy as everyone would make you think. It's not easy at all, as a matter of fact. Um, And so we were really focusing on that piece, like being able to see the person for who they are and not less than because they don't speak your language and they're not from this country. Today, we're going to focus on the flip side. What if the immigrant is the leader and um, want to lead us into that? Oh, I'm so sorry. Professor Benitez has been the immigration uh, director uh, at the George Washington University Law School. He was my immigration professor. He's been there since 1996. And prior to that, he was a civil rights lawyer in Chicago. So welcome back, Professor Benitez. Thank you both. Yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation because it's something that kind of grinds our gears a little bit. This this notion that what we're talking about are, Im- are leaders of organizations who are immigrants. So they've they were not native to whatever country they are. They found themselves heading an organization in. Um, and so they've come over and have really um, done a magnificent job of, you know, ascending to that height. Right. Like giving them their kudos of, of, of fighting and getting through and really getting to this point where they're at. They're leading an organization. Um, and what we've noticed with a few of, of the leaders in that position are that, you know, they it's it seems like maybe they forgot the struggle a little bit. I, I mean, I don't want to I, I hate to couch it that way, because, again, we don't know that that's anecdotally something that we've observed. But it's like it's a sense of I got here. And so I don't really have to acknowledge others experiences or my or even this the struggle of getting here myself. And so it seems like they forget that there are other people who don't necessarily haven't had the same doors opening or have opened as they have. They forget past other groups experiences that have kind of paved the way and they don't even want to really deal with this DEI issue. They, they, they want to turn a blind eye to it and just focus on the fact that I got here. And if I got here, you can get here too. Or I didn't have to deal with this in my country in this way. So why do I even have to make this a big deal? Like, can we just do our work, can we just run the business, make money, not deal with the people things? And so, you know, Natalie and I were talking, and even she brought this up before we started this episode, um, around one of our a client that we had, the head of the organization, who was really, really challenging. Um, and so I don't know if you wanted to kind of tee up this conversation with that example, and then we can get into it. You know, I think that the person, the CEO, really wanted to say the right things. And... Um, when it came time to say how he really fe- felt, 
it was offensive. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying to Professor Benitez, I was doing an unconscious bias training and I was going through some of the exa- some examples of unconscious bias and a few really got under his skin. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, in my country, like it's, and as soon as that starts the, the, the sentence, mm-hmm. it's always going to be like, you. okay, here we go. Right. And, it, and, and, and it was, it, for me, it was just very triggering mm-hmm. because I have worked in a number of environments where the leaders are from other countries and they couldn't care less about DEI and you're trying to fight to get them to understand. But it, it is, it, and I watched sort of even the faces in the room, it just, there was a deflation and he was a CEO, so who's going to, of a huge him. company, like who's going to fight him? So when you think about just this context, what's your thought there, right? Like, of course, we don't, we're really against assimilation. We're against that. Like, you, you should be able to be who you are no matter where you're from. But what, what are some of the things that uh, leaders from other countries should think about when they're leading in a country like the U.S. where something like DEI is such a big deal? Well, I think the first thing that uh, they could and should do is that they should recognize that uh, DEI and all of its facets is, is a good thing. It's a good thing. But that it doesn't necessarily exist with the example you gave the gentleman from India in their country. But that maybe it should. I know from my own experience, um, as you know or may know, my parents were from Mexico. So that's sort of what I know a little bit better. And speaking with relatives and friends in Mexico who lost their jobs, I asked them, I'm sorry, why'd you lose your job? Oh, because I turned 55 and they fired me. I said, well, why, why, what was it about 55? Well, because at 55, I was making more money and they were going to make more money if they fired me and hired a 20 year old. What can you do about that? There's nothing I can do about that. That's just the way it is. So, these concepts are just don't exist in a lot of parts of the world. In fact, can get you killed in lots of parts of the world. I think the gentleman, not to pick on him, but just to use him as an example, I think he was being, he felt threatened in his most intimate being as he was being diminished by a different perspective. And that's unfortunate because knowing the both of you as I know you, you were being respectful and kind but you were trying to show him a different way of thinking. Um, I do agree. I do agree that when non-citizens come to the United States, certainly the ones that I deal with, there's a tendency to think, well, I'm here. I need to get my kids here. I need to get my spouse here. I need to get a job. I need to get my work permit. And I'm not going to think about Nigeria or South Africa, or China, or India, or Central America. That tends to be the first generation. The first generation is working 24-7, 365. They're mowing lawns, they're taking care of kids, they're bussing tables, they're cleaning cars, they're parking cars. It's the next generation, the kids that are either came here young or are born here, they tend to become a bit more sophisticated, if that's the right word, more alert. Wait a minute. So mom and dad are really breaking their back, but I can get an education. I can meet different people. I can learn different things. Maybe I can go back to my parents' country. 
maybe I can try to do things a little differently, help people come here. Um, but I know in my case, my mom and dad, they came here and they worked and they worked and they worked. And they kept telling me, stay out of politics, don't get involved, don't get involved, get an education, get a job, what kind of job? Dad wanted me to study refrigeration and air conditioning, which is a great job, but I had no interest in studying refrigeration and air conditioning. Mom wanted me to get a job with the government. What kind of job, mom? Any job. And I said, I want to do that, mom. I want to do what I'm doing. Peace. I remember mom said, you just want a job where you're happy. And I said, yes, actually, that, that is what I want. I want a job where I'm happy. Um, I have a little bit more ability to maybe help people from Mexico, go to Mexico. I've taught in Mexico. I've taught in Argentina. I've sort of brought my perspective, especially to these countries. It's like, well, you know what? Maybe firing people because of their age is not a good idea. Maybe abusing people because of their gender is not a good idea. It's illegal. You should look at it differently. Hopefully somebody has thought about what Benitez has been saying and said, well, maybe, maybe. So I remember one guy in Mexico said, you know, you people in the U.S., you sue everybody for everything. That's just not the way we do things here in Mexico. And that is true. You get hit by a car, you should have been paying attention. And you wouldn't have gotten hit by the car. Whereas here, you know, 1-800-SUE-EVERYBODY. Exactly. That's, that's just the way it is here. So education, sophistication, not in the elitist way, but sophistication and sort of thinking outside the box, trying, as we discussed in the prior segment, trying the curry, even though you've never eaten curry before, try something a little different, do things a little different, and especially help the people that are coming after you. Because other than Native Americans, we all came from somewhere else, voluntarily or involuntarily. But other than Native Americans, we all came from somewhere else. So you, you, you made a comment of that's an immigrant parent experience. You come from mm-hmm. a family of immigrants. Mm-hmm. What, what, if you're thinking about the, you're the first person in your family born sure. in the U.S., mm-hmm. right? So, like, what is that like in terms of the, hey, I got to show up at work and try to figure some of this out, but then worry about sort of the cultural piece of where your family is from? I, it's exactly as Professor Benitez described, exactly down to like what kind of thing in why don't you major in some sort of business thing what what mom i don't know <laughs> business <laughs> it's like oh, okay um guess i'll figure it out but uh you know it is it's very much that i was you know as professor benitez was describing the the person the parent who comes over and all they're doing is working my mother worked two and three jobs she was telling me that she didn't sleep for days sometimes just trying to make ends meet having kids you know my aunt came over to help us out um and so, you know, it's that is very much real. And then as someone who's here growing up here, uh, you know, seeing being partially American and partially Jamaican. Right. And so it's like straddling culturally those two things and holding on to as much of the Jamaican culture as you can, because no one can tell me I'm not Jamaican, by the way. I dare someone <laughs> to tell me, listen, those are all technicalities that I wasn't born there. OK, <laughs> But it's like, but those things you want to hold on to. But then again, you're also in America and and it's like, you know, you, you, you see how America works from that perspective and you want to show up in a certain way, but it very much is that where you're just laser focused on. I have to get mine for my, for me and mine and the kids and all this other stuff that y'all are talking about. Okay. That's cute. 
Right. But I, I have no, my mother has really no framing around it. We talk now about these DI concepts and she's like, wow, I would have loved for someone to have said that when I was working or love to have this have been like a thing when I was doing what I was doing, but that was not, they were just head down, like trying to get it done. And so I think the beauty there is that those of us who are in this position to really illuminate some of these concepts and highlight this and really champion this, we have a responsibility to do that because if we think of our own parents experience and that even isn't just I mean the immigrant experience is one thing but even folks from marginalized groups in America period have had this experience it's like it's just it wasn't great and so now being in this position like we really have to to do our best to make it better for others and sharing like really speaking out about it even to folks who may not necessarily get it but but to your point Professor Benitez when you're like maybe they'll remember what I said it's like let's hopefully something will sink as you're talking to these people so on that point what are some of the things that you think about or at least would advise someone on by think it, let's just use the, the a CEO from another country example here in the US by recognizing what's happening in the US it's not taking away from your experience or your 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 country or the things that are going on in your country what i don't know if you've ever had to talk to anybody about that but like what is your thought about at least opening up that dialogue with someone I do think a lot of it is delivery, uh, not being threatening or accusatory, or we are better than you. You need mm. the way we do it because we are better than you. Um, I always, I always try to personalize everything because I'm just not that sophisticated to be that deep intellectually. It's like if I can relate it to something that I've gone through, then maybe I can understand it. So I always talk about. Well, your kids, I mean, your kids will have opportunities here that they might not have had in, in Mexico, in Jamaica, in Kenya, wherever it may be. And here in this country, the daughter of an, an immigrant from Jamaica can rise to this position of authority and respect based on hard work, ability, and getting in there every day, getting up at six o'clock in the morning, getting to work on time, showing up. Um, don't you want that for your daughter? Don't you want that for your niece? Don't you want that for your son? You can do that here. The son of immigrants from Mexico who was a steel worker and a city employee can become a tenured law professor at a top law school in the United States. That's what being here can get for your kids, for your daughters, for your sons, for your nieces and for your nephews. Um, don't you want that? Don't you want that for your country? Um, I mean, Mexico is what's close to me and the, the Mexico of 2023 culturally is certainly not the Mexico culturally of say 1970. I was 10 when I started sort of looking around. It's much better in LGBTQ issues uh, in Mexico, back in the day, everybody used to smoke cigarettes. And I just loathe cigarette smoking. I loathe cigarette smoking. Cigarette smoking is banned in restaurants, banned in stores, banned whatever, whatever. So slowly, not that they're copying us, but they're taking good ideas 
that from wherever they may be, just like we should take good ideas from them. I was going to say that. We, yeah. we could be doing, we could have a little bit more humility in this country and find some good ideas from other countries. And I think as you were talking, that hit me where it's like this piece of, it's not an either or, mm-hmm. it's an and, mm-hmm. right? So like you come from, you know, Mexico and there are some really important and cool and impactful traditions that that you have that may actually do well in a workplace, right? You're not imposing it, but it's sort of like, it's not, we're not saying like you have to come to the U.S. and lead only through a U.S. lens, right? Your, your experience in your home country or countries that you've lived in is, is, is relevant mm-hmm. to being a leader. Mm-hmm. It's how you, it's, I think to, to Professor Benitez's point, it's how you approach. It's how I approached a conversation with you of trying to open your eyes um, I definitely didn't always have a good approach. I mean, I've evolved into one, but I would say to people, we don't do that here. <laughs> right. And it's like, okay, that's that. But that came from the frustration of feeling like you're not even trying to understand, right. you know, some of the culture and some of the norms here. And so I think this maybe gets at some of what we talk about with vulnerability of leaders and the willingness to say, I don't really know. And the will, like, and I think it's difficult, uh, and I can say that even from you know being the CEO of, of my company, it can be difficult sometimes to say you don't know because you're expected to have all the answers when you're in these high level positions. But I think you know at least over the years, I, I've seen that people respect a lot more when you're willing to say, you know, I really don't know, but I'm open to learning, or I'll go and figure it out. And maybe when we're thinking about our leaders who are from other countries who feel resistant either because they feel threatened or some level of fear um, that they're being trying, you know, forced to assimilate to ideas and things that they don't agree with. Maybe it's sort of like, well, let me be open. Mm-hmm. Let me share about my experience, but not only that, that that's not the only way mm-hmm. and, and, and sort of understand that when people see you saying, Hey, I don't know, this is where I struggle with. They're willing to give you a lot more credit. You, you, you experience that a lot with one of the clients that we did all those listening sessions with, right? Everybody just wanted to know what the leaders were about. Like, why are they here? Are they here for the same reasons as me? Yeah. We, we had a client, um, where a lot of their workforce were immigrants, like Mm -hmm. from all, literally all over the world. These were white collar jobs to, um, South America to everywhere, Central America, Asia, everywhere. And it's fascinating because this was a nonprofit, uh, financial nonprofit organization, and they were really focusing on racial equity. And so they had started their conversation uh, or this journey actually um, doing, trying to unpack uh, the white supremacy or white characteristic dominant culture framework, um, which comes up a lot in nonprofits. Our for-profit friends might not be as familiar with it, but it comes up a lot in nonprofits, especially those who are working in marginalized community or trying to center racial equity. So th- this organization was working on that. And then they introduced these concepts and some of the concepts on the list are like, professionalism is a white dominant culture characteristic. Like what is, <laughs> they were like, what is that? Huh? How was that? And they're like, in my country that we, that that's not, we don't see it that way. That's just like how that's etiquette. That's like just how you're supposed to engage, how you're supposed to act. So how does that turn into this? And then now what am I supposed to do with this? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like being able to have those conversations. And so, it, you know, how do you, how do you empower people to rely on, to not say, forget what you know from your country or what you grew up with, this is not what this thing is. It's like, there's confusion there. So how do you even really support that as a leader? Give me 30 seconds of your time. I want to, I mean, you're all making me think now. I'm, I'm thinking and I like thinking, but 
One of the things that I struggle with as a supervisor, as Natalie knows, we have eight students per semester in the immigration clinic, and I teach the fall class, where this fall I'm supposed to have 42 students. Um, like I said, I'm 62, so the average student is I don't know, 24, 25. Um, mental health. Mental health is something that is discussed in ways now that was not discussed at all when I was a law student. And being the children of immigrants, it wasn't discussed, period. Right. Because True. we didn't <laughs> We didn't have that luxury. That was not, that was not what we did. You, you do your homework. Stop, in my era, stop reading Mad Magazine. Stop watching Love American Style. Stop hanging out with these friends of yours. You've got nothing to be worried about. Why are you depressed? There's no reason for you to be depressed. You are depressed. I got plenty of things for you to do. You can't be depressed anymore. Or to be depressed about. Or to be depressed about. You have nothing to be depressed about. Your life is golden. And that's not healthy. That's not healthy. I struggle as a supervisor with the comfort level of students nowadays to express their mental health challenges because it's not something that I was ever trained as a supervisor to deal with. But fortunately, I think I have enough self-awareness to listen and to learn from others. What, what can I do to help you? Even if it's maybe listening, just, okay, sit down and tell me what's, what's going on and I'm gonna listen and maybe we can figure out resources or maybe there's counseling on campus that I could send you to. That is something that I think in lots of countries, you just don't discuss. You do not discuss your business with people outside the family. And you shouldn't be ha unhappy anyway because your life is golden. And that's just, it's not the way it is. Well, and I think that the really important theme of what we're hearing is also not just necessarily cultural, but it's also like generational. Mm -hmm. And this idea of just because you did it a certain way, it doesn't mean that that's the only way. Mm -hmm. And so again, if you're thinking about that, and we see that with leaders who are from this country where they're like, oh, but we've always done it this way. And it's like, cool, but everybody wants to quit and everyone is burnt out. So this way that you've always done it is actually not necessarily the best way anymore. And I think approaching this from being, being which we talk about this a lot, being self-aware, that is a huge feat, right? By the way, it's not like, and I'm not saying that to be trite because a lot of people are not self-aware. So getting to the point where you can see yourself is like, I think key to all of this, mm -hmm. but this theme of you are, you are, as long as you're breathing, you're capable of learning. Yeah. Yep. As long as you are willing. And I think that is really the, the, the cornerstone of what we're really hoping for from leaders is before you sort of reject this out of hand, because it's not familiar to you. It's not how you grew up. Let's pause and be open. And just sometimes it is literally just listening to people back to that empathy piece. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm always sad when we have to wrap here. Um, any, anything that really, that really touched you that you're just thinking about? I have a feeling that there was. Well, I mean, there are, there are a couple of things. It's just really, again, understanding that I think what really came up for me was this the, the pulling it back and saying, okay, listen, this set of people come over here and they do this thing. And then next, this next group does, does this thing. And so these concepts are foreign. They're new to people. 
they didn't have again this idea of luxury we didn't have the luxury of being depressed we didn't have the luxury of worrying about other people <laughs> like we literally just have to figure our stuff out so I think that even it was for me like oh right 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 remember that um yeah. as you're dealing with other people that like right the frustration that we have right they have also a lot of frustration right because on the other side yeah. yeah it's like you're asking me to do these things and I'm like I just need to do this right thing right yeah so as we as we sort of bring this together, I mean, if you're thinking about this from from the leader perspective, you're not from this country and you're entering a country that is very focused on diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, and every country has aspects of this, but in very different ways, the way it's talked about is different. What people are comfortable talking about in the public is different. And I think we all sort of at least starting from that starting point. We get that, right? Acknowledgement of it's not going to be so, it's going to be even less comfortable for you because you're overcoming a, a different barrier than people who, who, who live and have grown up here. And so there's that piece. There's a second piece of, but you're still capable of learning. Yes. And the being open and open-minded is huge because at the end of the day, our data tells us over and over that in this country, people want a workplace where they feel like they belong and that they're included. And what's very different now than it was even 20 years ago is that people are very vocal about it. Mm -hmm. To Professor Benitez's point, mm -hmm. people are talking about things in ways that I have been so blown away by. I mean, I've done interviews uh, for people when I was in-house. I was doing interviews and when the, these college students would be like, well, I don't see anything about your position on LGBTQ issues. And I was like, wow, that is so courageous. Because when I was looking for a job, I would look on the internet to see if there were other people of color there, but I wasn't going to ask that question because I just needed a job. And I, and this is like 20 years ago. So, I mean, things evolve. And I think the real big takeaway from our conversation with you, Professor Benitez, is remaining open, understanding that difference is not threaten who you are and, and being willing to at least learn or try uh, to understand those perspectives. Thank you very much for your time. We, we, we appreciate you so much. And for those of you who are watching and listening, we look forward to hearing and seeing you again soon.